if you ask what does Jay Prince represent and mean to me, um, Jay Prince has always been known as like a big figure in Texas. He's he's a powerful man. He's like he he's the head of our music down here in Dallas. He's like our puff daddy. He's our he's our daddy. He's just a real powerful man that makes moves and has given many people many opportunities. Um, and he's still giving back to the community. I'm from Dallas, Texas, also known as the Triple D, Dirty Dirty Dallas, whatever you'd like to call it from the north side of Texas. What I can recall most about Jay Prince's impact is you'd always hear him from anybody talk about him from UGK, you hear about him from Devin the Dude, Ghetto Boys, anybody in the music industry, anybody in Texas, anybody in the South, you will hear his name. Uh, you are even hearing his name now um, for a new audience uh, with Drake and other things that are going on. This is a real powerful man. Hey y'all, this is Alexis, and welcome to First Year Project, a podcast sharing the stories behind the good, bad, and integral aspects of first year experiences. The life of Jay Prince is one like no other. A man molded by, but not confined by his initial circumstances. A man confident in his abilities with the accomplishments and background to teach a course on strategy at any Ivy League institution. A man still learning and growing. His journey, however, was not without years of obstacles and navigating through his own storms. Born in extreme poverty in the Fifth Ward area of Houston on October 31st, 1964, there was no blueprint laid out for Prince, especially so for acquiring generational wealth and building a respected Southern hip hop legacy in a cutthroat and white male exec dominated industry like the music industry. These footsteps in the background are mine on my way to the interview. I sat down with hip-hop legend, business mogul, and boxing manager to some of the greats, Jay Prince, founder and CEO of the Houston-based legendary Rap-A-Lot Records, one of the first Southern indie hip-hop music labels to really blaze a trail for others like No Limit and Cash Money Records, known for grooming some of gangster rap and Southern rap greats such as the Ghetto Boys, Bun B and Pimp C of UGK, Zero, Big Mike, and others, as well as one of Drake's longtime mentors. We talked about his memoir, The Art and Science of Respect, how he deals with failure and trauma, how he created the Ghetto Boys, and what separates him from the pack. Follow First Year Project on Twitter and Instagram at FirstYearPRJ. P is in Paul, R is in Robert, J is in John. And make sure to click the link in the bio for quick access to creative and dope content for millennials. The First Year Project podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Acast. Make sure to subscribe, download, and rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Visit firstyearproject.com slash review for directions. The link to that is also in the description. You actually started writing this book with Jasmine Waters um, in 2014. I heard that on an interview that you did. Now, what was the process like? And four years later, what is it like now? Well, four years ago, it was planting the seeds. And right now, I'm reaping the fruit of my labor. But uh, along the journey, you know, I had to, like, really go to some places 
I hadn't traveled in a while, you know, and uh, it was interesting. You know, some of them were happy moments, some of them were sad moments, but uh, we got through them, and uh, the art and science of respect uh, is a nice project. As I was reading through the book, there were some excerpts that popped out to me or resonated with me personally. And um, one excerpt that I found interesting that you share is, um, my family has gone to war with me and for me. And that is an amazing feeling. It's in the spiritual journey section. Now, that's a very interesting family dynamic, but it's also like a family dynamic that a lot of people can relate to, right? So what I'm wondering is like, what exactly do you mean by a family that goes to war with me and for me? And can you talk a bit about the importance of family to you? Yeah, um, you know, that would begin in my early days, you know, I had family that would literally fight with me. You know, I, you know, growing up in Fifth Ward, you know, walking to school, I found myself getting into a lot of fights. You know what I mean? It was just one of those things you had to figure out how to do to survive in the hood. And, you know, as I was thinking about uh, the support I had where my family was concerned, you know, I thought about moments like that. I thought about the preparation of uh, the wisdom and different things that were shared with me uh, to be able to fight in life. So, you know, you know, when you go to those places and think about all those things, you, you're thankful, you're grateful for a supportive family. And family mean everything to me, you know. Uh, uh, it's the reason uh, I even wanted to be successful. You know, it was because of my mother. It was because of the the poverty curses that, uh, you know, was on my family for decades. And, you know, I vowed as a kid, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the one to break this curse of poverty. So all of that begun with family. There's another excerpt from the book that talks a lot about failure Um, and this is actually one of my favorite parts of the book so far Uh, it says failure has birthed far more champions than privilege I am the man I am today not because of what I had early on in life but also because of what I didn't have and um, I think that's so powerful for many reasons in terms of first year project, it's a huge piece that I touch on, you know, the importance of failure and how it can definitely propel you forward and can be a huge determining factor of like the type of person you are professionally as well as personally. Now, can you talk more about how you dealt with failure or not necessarily having the resources you needed to create the life you wanted? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I come from a place where, you know, people will use situations such as where I come from as a handicap, 
you know what I mean? Uh, I didn't have this. I wasn't uh, raised here, uh, this and that. And, okay, that could be the case for some. But for me, you know, it was a, a motivating factor, a stimulating factor, uh, where I said to myself, okay, even though, you know, this has take, taken place in my life, you know, I, I reached and grabbed scripture, you know, I can do all things, you know, through Christ who strengthened me. I reached and grabbed uh, different situations to, uh, you know, to inspire and stimulate my mind to conquer uh, all the obstacles that was against me. And, uh, you know, that's that's what I meant by that, you know. If it has, like, how would you say that the way you deal with failures or challenges, how has it changed over the years? Oh, I mean, you know, I, I, I view failure and all of those situations almost like the weather, you know. And I think I mentioned in my book, either you're in a storm, you just got out of a storm, or you're on your way to a storm. So versus looking at a failure situation as the word failure, it's a storm. And then I, I view it as if it don't rain, the grass won't grow. So I shift my whole mentality of uh, wallowing in, in failure or uh, shortcomings as a fertile situation that's going to prep and prepare me moving forward. So money was important to you, even as a young child. So before hustling on the streets, before the used car dealership and rap a lot records, you were a child who quickly understood that money equals power, but also how, more importantly, money represents options. So how have your views about money changed over the years? Well, I think they have changed in a variety of ways because uh, I have gotten wiser. And, you know, I, I tell everybody, you know, I don't love money, but I like it so much until it's hard to tell the difference. But, uh, you know, I think the tools are still similar. I just have learned how to, uh, you know, diversify the use of it and in, in, in a more broader uh, aspect and then I did as a kid. But when I go back and think about the uh, the things that really, like, inspired me to even, you know, want the money, it, it came from situations of, of witnessing pain, witnessing lights get cut off, family members crying and, you know, because they didn't have. And all of that had, like, a a major impact on me to realize that, okay, having the dollar makes a difference. And uh, I wanted it because of those reasons. So you make one of the most important decisions of your life, sitting on the floor of your closet with your son in your lap. You're making this huge transition at that point from staying off the streets to really pouring everything into the label And at that point in time, right, based on your book, that was seen as some steps back. 
how did you navigate the process of understanding right now it seems like I'm taking some steps back you know whether it be less money going from a five-bedroom house to a one-bedroom apartment giving up all your cars how do you navigate that process to eventually take a million steps forward how do you continue to have that foresight of I have to do this now so that I can flourish later well that's you do that by separating a moment from a movement you know what I mean and I had to do that you know I understood the fruits of the moment versus the fruits from a movement and the moment is a a short term reward the movement is a longevity reward and when I put both of the situations on the scale (laughs) the movement outweighed the moment substantially and uh it, it wasn't hard to make the decision that I made after that. Although aspects of his story may sound familiar now in 2018, building a formidable gangster rap record label in Texas in 1986 just had not been done before. You had Luke Skywalker Records, formed by THE Luke Campbell and David Shackler in 1985. But that was Miami putting out two live crew hits like Me So Horny. Nasty, but not gangster. But not even Rap-A-Lot Records, when it first started, was putting out the hardcore projects it's most famously known for. Taking roots on Jay Prince's used car dealership lot, the label was started by Prince as a way to keep his brother, Sir Rap-A-Lot, off the streets. The first group on the label started with the first version of the Ghetto Boys, spelled just like the word G-H-E-T-T-O. The group consisted of Sir Rapalot and, I believe, Raheem the Vigilante and Jukebox. The group had a minor hit with Car Freak, but soon after, there were issues. Were those first couple of years really tough, though? Oh, yeah. More than the first couple of years, the first seven. Right. was like, you know, uh, I wasn't looking forward to that, you know, because in my mind, I had a shorter, uh, a shorter term of a reward in mind, you know what I mean? But I tell everybody in the, in the, in the entertainment industry, you know, it's an industry that would test you. And it'll run the week off. So I learned that the hard way. And seven years later, I was rewarded beyond my expectations. Uh, Your brother, Serapalot, was actually in the original version of the Ghetto Boys, spelled G-H-E-T-T-O. Things weren't working out. And, right, you have to make changes. And eventually one of those changes was taking your brother off the label based on the book so that is a very hard decision to make especially when it involves family how did you approach decisions like that and how has your approach changed over the years yeah no I think my approach is is pretty much the same um that decision was one of the uh uh, I would say the core decisions that I made uh, 
as an entrepreneur. And my thing back then and my thing right now is business is one thing, personal is another. And just because someone is blood-related or kin to you don't qualify them to be qualified for a business position. And I had to make that decision where my brother was concerned uh, because, you know, my brother was actually up against the Scarface decision. Right. And, you know, when I put, when I analyzed both of the situations, my brother was uh, not showing up. He wasn't showing the dedication that Scarface was showing. And I understood that. And ultimately, you know, he kept campaigning and got him a 21 uh, sentence in the, in the penitentiary <laughs> from campaigning. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that decision was uh, an unwelcoming decision where my family members and different things was concerned because they didn't understand it at the time. But after a few years had passed and houses and cars was rewarded to them, I became a genius. You find new members or you start to find new members Scarface being one of them, who was DJ Action before. Um, loved reading the story about how you found him and how he was signed to Little Troy, that whole situation. I'm not going to give it away. But what's your approach to finding talent? Because here's the thing. Finding a Scarface, that's very unique. Uh, even Willie D and Bushwick... These were all talented artists. What's your approach to finding talent that has that longevity piece to it? Because they have songs that are classics still to this day. Right. Well, back then, you know, I didn't have access to social media uh, back then. So my social media was keeping my ears to the street. And, you know, where like a Bushwick, Scarface and Willie D was concerned, uh, I researched the hoods and the streets of Houston everywhere because I understood that I wanted, you know, three different personalities. You know, these I brought together three guys that didn't know one another, three totally different personalities of the images that I was trying to feel uh, where the ghetto boys was concerned. And after research, you know, through clubs where I met Scarface, Willie D in the bar, at the barbershop referred to me by my barber and Bushwick in the club one night just watching him perform. You know, I decided to bring these guys together and they embraced my vision and uh, the rest was history after that. Can you talk more about the name change from the G-H-E-T-T-O to the G-E-T-O? and why that was important to you? You talk about it in your book, too, but... You know, that was important uh, because, okay, the G-H-E-T-T-O is a name that I couldn't own. You know, the G-E-T-O, you know, I could own that. And uh, I believe in ownership. I believe in being able to own content and you name it. So that was important to me at the time. 
Okay, so the book notes that despite everything going on in your life, and I'm talking about early on in life, um, you even were viewing trips like driving to visit your uncle in the penitentiary, which is usually like an experience linked to trauma. You were even viewing that sort of experience as an opportunity to travel, to establish goals, to, you know, eventually own property. And this was at nine years old. So, like, what exactly made a nine-year-old Jay Prince take an experience that challenging and look at it for the opportunities in it? Well, at the time, I didn't know I was doing that. Okay. You know what I mean? At the time, uh, I was just, that was like a vacation for me because I never had the opportunity to get out of the hood much. So to be able to take that ride, I was just more excited about taking a long ride. That was my vacation, you know, riding to the penitentiary to visit my uh, my uncle. And I'm in the back seat happy. And all I could see was land, you know what I mean? And that became special because even at nine years old, I used to like to hunt. I used to like to fish. So as I observed that land and different things like that, I started dreaming. You know, I'm like, I want land like this one day. You know what I mean? And and that <laughs> sounded strange to my grandmother at the time. You know, but I was back there dreaming, and I never forgot the dreams. And do you think you're just wired that way, or is it more so like a skill that you learned as you got older? I think um, I think I'm definitely wired. I think it's a genetic thing as well, you know, because after uh, really having an opportunity to observe my genetics, those that came before me, a lot of them were entrepreneurs, love land and different things like that. So I believe everything comes from somewhere. Do you sometimes ever feel that the approach of just kind of powering through like no matter what's going on I'm just going to get the job done do you ever think sometimes that can hinder someone from like healing fully from traumatic experiences good question Uh, I think that's a possibility you know what I mean I think uh, definitely that can go left or right Uh, but where I'm concerned, it, it uh, is healing for me to keep moving forward and to keep striving, and you know, to the next uh, goal. So it, it works for me. From nine-year-old Jay Prince in the backseat riding to the penitentiary, to twenty-something-year-old Jay Prince starting a record label on his used car dealership lot, there's just a difference to him. From the way that he dresses and carries a conversation, direct, to the point, with every word serving a very specific purpose, to his overall mentality and thought process. Given the similarities between many black male hip-hop execs in the early 90s, I was really curious about what he thought made the essential difference. What he thought separated him from the pack. Even with that pack once including Suge Knight who is now being sentenced to 28 years in prison. My, my very last question. You have amazing photos in this book. 
and it was uh, one, it, the one with your uh, red receipt bins. Uh, you bought it from Terry Carter in the late 1980s. Yeah. You have here, Suge Knight is on trial now, accused of running Terry over and killing him on the set of the movie, Straight Outta Compton in 2015. Right. So, like, first of all, that is just a, a, a very crazy connection to have, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, two... <laughs> For a very long time, it seemed as if a lot of people, a lot of media outlets, kind of put you and Shug in the same category. Right. However, you have a very different outcome than, oh, yeah. than he does, right? <laughs> so, like, what do you think, outside of the obvious differences, like, what do you think really makes the difference there? Between me and Shug. <laughs>